future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, July 18th, 2022. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. Hey, everybody in chat, how you doing? Sky Blue Jummer from LA, what's up? Amy Kay, as always, what's happening? Uh, we are here for, after a two-week hiatus, back on the Out the Coop Live tip. Yes, everybody. You can join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can also check out our once or twice monthly uh, The Wednesday Show with Cyril Michaleko. It's been a while, I know, since we've been away. Been away. Uh, Cyril, of course, is progressive uh, editor, the editor-in-chief, yes, over at the Bucks County Beacon. Pretty awesome. And he joins me on Wednesdays once in a while to drill down into the Bucks County, Pennsylvania international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a member. Become a patron. You know, a little five bucks a month. Pretty cool. <laughs> you can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. We also got our Discord server. Info on how to join that is in today's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, or Facebook. Wherever you get your live streams, you're going to find Rick. Make sure you subscribe to his podcast, too. Find out all the information you're going to need at therick'smithshow.com for all his platform news. And if you haven't already, you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And for all you gamers out there, The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black, family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest, um, all, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, and loads of collectibles, action figures, and Funko Pops. And look, when school's in, kids get, you know, a discount for A's in the report card. Time to start encouraging those kids now. <coughs> Check out all the information on their Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at The Game In. That's at The Game In with two N's. You got a question about a game look for something hard to get shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com special shout out as always goes to jonathan mann who wrote our intro song there are no people in the future check out all his great stuff on his youtube page or follow him on twitter at, at song a day man that's with two n's at song a day man on twitter and look everybody you've been in bucks county you know what's happened at our school boards and don't let paul martino and his friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community 
Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack invested in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Links and info on that is in tonight's show notes. So on tonight's show, yes, I am welcoming back to the show uh, William Horn. I'm very, very excited about this, and it's very timely, I have to say, too, as well. Uh, welcome back to the show. Talk about his new article, Why I Use the F Word and You Should Too. Horn is an Arthur J. Ennis postdoctoral fellow at Villanova University and co-founder of the Activist History Review. He just launched a new newsletter on Substack, In Case of Emergency, that will be a space to engage critical anti-fascist thinkers, expose the history and growing threat of fascism in the United States, and amplify the ways to disrupt systems of exploitations on the far right that are actively working to permanently codify in American culture and governance their extremist views. Um, you can check out his newsletter at Dr. William Horn with an E, drwilliamhorn.substack.com, and all the great work over the Activist History View at activisthistory.com. Welcome back to the show, William. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I also want to give the quickest of shout outs uh, to my it. partner. Um, it's our anniversary today. Get um, out of here. Happy anniversary. Thir <laughs> 13 years, lucky number 13. Um, and so I just want to thank her for uh for sort of having me on loan for the show <laughs> um, but uh but really i mean she she facilitates so much of like what i'm able to do so i just i want to you know acknowledge that and you know happy anniversary so. happy anniversary <laughs> right back at you that's fantastic that is fantastic and i feel <laughs> horrible at the same time <laughs> oh no 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 <laughs> oh god all right well uh, so first before we get into this of course we had you back on the show um on the show cut a couple months back now and um i have to say look if anybody has not checked out uh the activist history review yet please head on over there their work is consistently phenomenal um and necessary uh right now to kind of know understand a little bit about how we got where we're at right and why it's necessary to kind of understand that kind of history some great work had it on over there um but uh william you just launched this new newsletter um in case of emergency and the inaugural kind of article in that is the one we're talking about tonight why i use the f word and you should too can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to launch that newsletter now and um to create that space for that kind of discussion yeah, thank you. That's a really good question. Um, and I guess the shortest of possible short answers is the the title. I mean, the title sort of points to points to it, right? We are in a state of emergency, um, and that emergency is fascism. And and the first thing we need to sort of navigate with that is just how we how we name it, right? Um, and so that sort of is the goal, right? Is to understand where we're at, uh, understand how we got here, um, and then how we can sort of resist, undermine, sabotage. Uh, these systems of power that are, you know, designed to meet out so much harm, to harm all different kinds and groups of people, uh, right, um, and to stand in solidarity with one another for a better, you know, more livable future. And so that's the goal, um, you know, and there are other spaces for this kind of work too, of course, and there are, you know, tons of great people uh, to follow, um, and I hopefully will be able to highlight some of them, um, you know, in the, uh, in the Substack, you know, in the coming weeks uh, and months. But, um, you know, I wanted to create another space for this kind of conversation, um, you know, and I think also, you know, for those of us maybe in 
let's say higher education. So who are more like professors or, or whomever, um, you know, to maybe not be, I don't know, as concerned about these issues of like civility, right? Um, or these issues of appearing to be nonpartisan, um, because that's a, that's a trap. It's incredibly destructive. Um, you know, and so there is, you know, and again, there's many great academics who are involved, but, um, you know, uh, I think we can, we can be doing more. Well, it's really interesting is that, you know, one of the things that you highlight is like, you know, uh, just a kind of reading a little bit for the end of your piece here, when you're talking about um, wanting to highlight thinkers, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page, wanted to highlight thinkers like, for example, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, right? Um, uh, right. Amy, I don't know, how, how do you say it? Say, Amy Césaire. Amy yeah. Césaire, yeah. Uh, Jean-Paul yeah. Sartre, right? Simone Weil, right. Uh, Angela Davis, James Boggs, Stokely Carmichael. Right. And one of the things that strikes me, it's interesting you bring up that notion about civility, right, especially within academic mm. cultures, right, and in kind of professional middle class cultures, too, as well, even ones that are somewhat critical, is that they if you look at those set of thinkers and you look at the kind of, you know, the 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 tendency of academics today or the tendency of some kind of even professional classes to be to worry about civility, those thinkers were, I, I would say, not so worried so much about civility, <laughs> And more worried yeah. about how to stop things like, oh, I don't know, the, you know, the continued um, progression and assault of colonialism and white supremacy, right? Or the kind of like the wholesale, you know, um, racial apartheid system emerged in the U.S. and South Africa, right? And, and, and how to actually resist kind of, you know, hundreds of years of colonialism and establish an independent state. And it seems to me that um, at some point, the civility has got to be put to the side there. And that doesn't mean we're going to be, you know, again, I hate the way of thinking about this. That doesn't mean we're going to be, say, uncivil and just be like assholes <laughs> to each other. Right. But it means that we need to kind of say like decorum needs to take a back seat to addressing the real ugliness that we're seeing right before us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's in some ways, that's why Cesaire is, you know, I just I love his work uh, because you know, he argues that, you know, what we consider civilized is in fact like intrinsically barbaric, you know, and so these systems of power, you know, that he's critiquing in this case, like French colonial rule um, in the French empire, um, you know, tortures, it, you know, cuts off limbs, it murders people, you know, in mass. Um, and for Césaire, he's like, look, let's dispense with all these formalities, right? Like we are occupied by a barbaric power. Right. Um, you know, and so I, I think maybe there's a little perspective there. Right. You know, I'm thinking, you know, as, as you mentioned, like this, this civility trap. And I think it is it's a trap. You know, that doesn't mean that we're going to be throwing things. Right. Um, you know, necessarily. But, like but it does mean of that food against you know, the wall, for example, perhaps. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, but what it does mean is that, you know, we're going to like foreground uh, issues of human survival. You know, and I'm thinking about like uh, W.E.B. Du Bois has this you know, famous line. Um, that he used in a few of his sort of autobiographical works about how the lynching of Sam Hose had this enormous effect on him, how he's going to go write an editorial. He had it all written out, um, you know, to sort of defend and, you know, uh, hopefully like protect uh, this, this person, Sam Hose, who, um, you know, the white establishment had called to be lynched. Um, and as he's going to the, the editor's office to file this um, editorial. Um, he hears, in fact, not only that uh, Sam Hose has been lynched, but that like several of his knuckles uh, were on display 
um, at a nearby butcher shop because you know if you're unfamiliar with lynching, uh, white supremacists would you know they would make keepsakes right? They printed out postcards, um, you know, commemorating these lynchings. It's really awful, terrible graphic stuff. Um, and this again, I think Du Bois expertly here points to uh, the the uncivility of right. this act, right? Um, and the way that, that American Christianity uh, masquerades as something that is benevolent when in fact it is this, you know, truly barbaric, horrific force for Du Bois. Yeah, and it does it does say a lot about kind of structures of control, right? I mean, it's about how civility, and again, I think that, I think you'd be hard pressed, you know, if you ask somebody in the abstract, right, about, you know, what would be your ideal, right? Where you sit around, you have differences and ideas, you'd have a civil conversation that could be critical and kind of engaged, and then you'd be able to hear each other out, and then you'd have to come to some sort of decision. And I think that ideal is like, doesn't exist, number one, <laughs> right? I mean, right. but we could have it as like a, as an aspirational goal, but in order to kind of get there, right, you have to eliminate these systems of exploitation. Otherwise that civility becomes the discipline right? To keep yeah. those, that exploitation in place, right? Right. Yeah. Imagine if we're like all sitting around a table, you know, like half of the people at the table are being like starved and, and tortured and beaten, right? And the rest of but we're all supposed to be very polite about it, right? It's, it's a ridiculous idea, you know? And when we think right. about it in those terms, like it, it makes sense how ridiculous it is. Um, but that's the demand that's placed on us, of course, because we do actually have these systems of torture, these systems of starvation uh, at work right now in our country and all across the world, um, you know? And it, being polite, it, that doesn't make them better, right? One hundred percent. So let's let's start with a kind of a a, uh, a question about like using the F word. OK, using the word yeah. fascism. And we talked a little bit about this before we before we went live today. But, you know, this is one of these things that people, you know, in professional circles, we kind of say journalists. Right. Whether you're talking about even say academics, as you said before, um, are reluctant to use even the word fascism to call, say, for example, brown shirts just in the guise of Proud Boys, for example, going around and advocating violence as a way of kind of like um, kind of demanding or to disciplining others in, into kind of submission, right? To have kind of this authoritarian, we're very reluctant to call it fascism, right? Um, but you make the case that we're gonna have to actually have that conversation. <laughs> we're actually gonna yeah. have to start using that word and talk about like fascism for what it is, because that's kind of where we at. Can you talk us through that a little bit about the, why you want to make this case that we should start calling fascism fascism? Yeah, uh, that's that's a really good question. Um, I guess like the simplest, you know, uh, most straightforward answer is is just because not calling it that isn't going to change whether or not it is that thing, right? Um, not naming the monster in the movie isn't going to make the monster go away. <laughs> Um, you know, and so that's kind of the underlying logic here, right? But we, you know, in, in some ways, I think it helps explain, you know, what is often presented as sort of like a, a baffling conundrum um, in our mainstream media about like Republican policies and platforms. Like there are all these weird, like seemingly disconnected ideas, like, you know, white supremacists are, you know, concerned with, I don't know, this great replacement theory, you know, and, and they're inspiring, you know, mass shootings. But then we also have a love of guns that and then we also have like a hatred of trans book reading sessions i mean this is there's there's a a a cacophony of of misery here right. um in the in the republican platform and and my point is that like all of these things actually are connected 
if you're inside that world, right? Like these all make sense as iterations of this like hierarchical, you know, and repressive worldview um, that is now mainstream Republican ideology. And if any, if anyone, you know, I guess, I mean, if you're like, if this is news to you or whatever, I, I want to encourage you to uh, to take a look um, at the uh, Republican Senate platform. Um, I think it came out uh, just last year, but it's been updated, um, you know, and it, it's, it like mandates patriotism. I mean, it's an absurd document. Um, and, and I think that this maybe, you know, I link to it in the article and so, you know, you can find it there, but I think maybe this helps like explain how from, you know, again, someone who is in this worldview, like how all of these issues seem connected because they're, they're literally all connected in the document. Right. right. Um, and yeah, and these are all iterations of the same, um, eliminationist worldview. Right. And a very singular identity. Right. I mean, and yeah. that's that's one of the things, you know, I, I was uh, I was very much encouraging. Here's where people start talking about the Republican Party as a white identity party. Right. Um, yeah. Kind of a while back. And that's really kind of what fun. But I mean, you have to really open up what we're talking about, what we mean by white in that context. Right. What is white sure. identity? Because it seems to be enmeshed with like Christian nationalism. Right. I mean, obviously, overt racism. Right. So white, you're white. Right. But also patriarchy. Right. Also a disciplining on kind of sexual like, you know, of, of, of sexuality. Right. So when where that which what links, say, for example, the white supremacists on the one hand with the elimination of Roe on the other. Right. Because ultimately you're about white, you know, that kind of white identity is really white male identity. Right. Um, that is kind of being determined in there. And to your point about the platform, I was actually after reading your article, I was actually looking at some of the state platforms that were coming out. And some of them, like like, for example, in Texas are just yeah. horrific. In terms of yeah. how explicit they are with that kind of, as you say, elimination, eliminationist, um, you know, kind of like, like approach. So there it is. And I was right. You know, this is the other thing I was thinking about. It's like, you know, we had George Lakoff come out kind of years ago. And it is like, don't think of an elephant. And basically saying that what puts together all these different pieces of things is this, this ideology of the family, this ideology of the strong father figure and so on. And we saw that kind of happening and he was mapping it in discourse. But here. We're seeing it at the level of policy and platform and party performance, which is pretty horrifying. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, I think Jason Stanley in his book, How Fascism Works, does a really great job uh, illustrating this role of patriarchy um, that, again, might surprise some listeners because we tend not to think we tend not to associate patriarchy with uh, with fascism, right? We, we think about maybe like the religious oppression, anti-Semitism, right? Uh, maybe we think about racial oppression. Um, you know, we might even think about ableism, right? Uh, because around 100%. a quarter of a million, you know, disabled people, you know, were murdered in, uh, in Hitler's concentration camps. And so maybe we're aware of some of these issues, right? Um, but I think very infrequently do we consider like the way that the patriarchy was sort of the secret sauce, I guess, um, in fascism, not just in Germany, you know, but in Spain and Italy, um, and really, you know, as a sort of a transnational movement, um, it's kind of been one of the unifying factors in fascist movements worldwide. So why, let, I'll, I'll put it to you like this, why are you not being kind of uh, alarmist, right, by using the word fascism? Why is it important mm. to use the word and to understand its history um, kind of at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing is, we just have to understand what's going on. Words are useful in helping us do that, right? Um, if you 
would prefer to use, you know, white supremacist, heteropatriarchal Christian nationalism. <laughs> That's a mouthful, but that please feel free to do that. Right. Um, what you're describing there is fascism. Um, you know, we have a word for that. It is like, you know, sort of like an uncivil word, um, you know, according to, uh, I, I don't know, the, the way that we do things, right? Uh, you know, the, the people in power and their preferences. But um, the truth is, this this is term describes what is happening um, right now. And then this is why I use it. I, I, I hate, you know, the idea that in an already, you know, worried and stressed out society, we need to be even more worried and stressed out. I think we just need to understand what's happening to us. And and this is a step towards doing well, that. Well, and I think to, to that point there about being stressed out, I mean, one of the causes of stress also was also not understanding kind of the yeah. world as it is, right? And to seem, right. it seems like things are coming at you from all these different directions. Because I know, and I think this is particular coming, you know, on the left where, you know, look, let's face it, the left does not have as an organized, uh, is not as organized, right, as we see on the right, right? Yeah. The right is kind of like, pointed just like you said it's got a platform it stands for this particular ideological sets of, of of things it has a coherency to it and its agenda is we're watching it unfold right we're watching unfold yeah. for the supreme court right now we're seeing it with the proud boys we're seeing it with with trump and beyond so you know if by understanding it that actually in my mind can decrease the stress level <laughs> right? right because it allows us to focus and understand that look it's not just trump bad man Right. Yeah, That's not right. the argument. The argument is the Republican Party is now the space where these fascism, you know, this proto fascism or fascist politics are taking place. Um, and then we have a target. Right. I mean, I, th I always thought about kind of naming the enemy. It's like, you know, I'm not going to sit around and decide out which of the fascists are nice and which ones are not. No. Right. Until you prove otherwise, you've made your bed. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. So let me. So. Can you take us into some of the history, right? So they could help mm. understand a little bit of this. This one of the things I like you do in this piece. You give it some of the the tidbits of the, the the meaning of fascism and through, like, say, Mussolini and some of its origins in the kind of Jim Crow era. Can you talk us through a little bit some of that history to kind of yeah. situate us? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, you know, in one of the charges that Mussolini is trying to respond to in his like doctrine of fascism that I talk about in his. Uh, in the in the essay um, is that you know there is no ideology of fascism. Fascism is like a sort of a negation of ideologies. Um, and Mussolini says no. In fact, like we have this sort of nationalism. We have a, a nationalist myth making. Uh, we have you know the role of the family and patriarchy. Um, we have all of these things. He talks about like the Roman Catholic Church, and he's like the Roman Catholic Church is great. It's our special institution in Italy. Um, you know, and when you read closely the essay. Um, it, it's eerily reminiscent uh, of today's Republican Party. I mean, there's a number of touch points, right? Like the, the willingness to wield power and use it, the willingness to promote violence, right? Um, you know, that uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a wild rally, right? It's going to be wild and we have to fight like hell, right? Um, you know, we don't really need to use our imaginations, like particularly much to understand, you know, how um, this, this ideology uh, is similar to the one that we see from the Republican Party. Um, but it's also not all that far removed from, you know, previous like white supremacist nationalist movements um, in the U.S. And so if you look at, say, like the second Klan, uh, especially like the 1920s era um, and 1930s, that is a nationwide organization. Um, I think 
per capita and actually no just per member it had the most members in indiana of any other state so we aren't talking about like specifically just a southern thing right which i know is how we think about it in our popular you know public imagination um, but we're talking about actually a nationwide organization um one that you know, manages to push through Congress uh, a super restrictive uh, immigration bill, uh, the 1924 immigration bill um, that made it almost impossible for anyone from anywhere other than Northern Europe uh, to immigrate to the US, um, which, you know, stood until the 1960s. The civil rights movement uh, eventually overturned that or helped overturn it. Um, you know, and so we, we see, in other words, this like racist nativism at work in policy in much the same way uh, that we see it at work in, you know, the, the quote unquote great replacement theory um, and the sort of far right uh, reactionary uh, immigration policies today. And so we have in this country, right, like, you know, a very similar history. We tend not to call it fascism in part because it like began before, like, you know, fascism as an ideology was like solidified. Um, so we're talking about in the US, like, you know, for the Jim Crow era, like, depending upon where you started, the 1890s through like the 1920s, 30s, uh, is when it really solidifies, right? Um, you know, historians often call this like the great nadir, right? Uh, just mm -hmm. when things are as bad as, as they could get, um, you know, and so in that sense, like, this isn't something that we need to look to other countries to, to see, like, we can see it here in our own history. And it's very bad. Yeah, I'll say. And I think that, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, some of the criticisms that Trump had, right, of the, about the idea about having saying the quiet part out loud. And mm. I couldn't help but think, as I was reading your essay, when you were kind of going back and having these texts that, that Mussolini is writing, right, kind of explicitly kind of, say, codifying in language what this thing fascism is, right, kind of bringing this all together. And I said, you know, at some level, you know, it wasn't like Mussolini invented this, <laughs> right? right? It wasn't this didn't yeah. come from nowhere, but he was actually bringing it all together and kind of putting together it in terms of a doctrine. And just so I kept on, I kept on thinking about it. So, yeah, I mean, if fascism names that conglomeration of, say, white supremacy, and, you know, we know this from, you know, the uh, Hitler's folks were actually kind of studying what was happening in the South about way to kind of right. deal with race and codify race and kind of suppress race as a way of kind of formalizing policies within within Germany. So it's that we could say that that's fascism gives gives name right to all those things that were brought together under one title. Right. So that and it gives us name and it's it and with the normalization of violence as a way of policing those things, it seems to me. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, and again, this is how, you know, Mussolini conceives of it, um, you know, in, uh, in, in his work. Um, and that's also how it is realized in US history, you know, um, it's no accident that sort of like the evangelical movement, you know, what we think of today is like the tent revival movement um, happens at almost exactly the same time as like the advent of lynching uh, in the 1880s. Um, and that in fact, like the, you know, white evangelicals are the people who are like supporting lynching. Like the most famous example is, you know, Rebecca Latimer, um, you know, uh, who promotes lynching, you know, I, it was a thousand, you know, black Americans to save the innocence of one white woman. I mean, this is terrible stuff, right? Um, but but it's, it's stuff that, again, like the religious stuff goes hand in hand with like the violence stuff um, and the racist violence stuff. It is you know, for the people who are doing it, like, you know, it is a, a, a form of Christianity that they are enacting. 
Well, and this is what we see right now. This is, you know, I mentioned this again before the show when we're t when we're chatting a little bit, is that this is one of the, some of the side conversations I've had around here because, of course, Doug Mastriano is running for uh, kind of right. governor, and I think there's a lot of folks that are getting a little nervous to find out that his polling numbers are within three to four points of Josh Shapiro. Um, and we've had some conversations on this show before about this strategy from Shapiro's campaign to kind of promote Doug Mastriano as a way of kind of being, you know, too smart by half by saying, hey, let's go with the extremist guy. And I think is a misreading of where our culture is right now. Um, but that's right. I don't want to get us too far, far afield here. Sure. But I was thinking about this. And, you know, there was there's these signs that emerge around the uh, that have been, you know, these yard signs that are up around the Mastriano campaign and even before Mastriano announced. And it made me think about um, how, say, this kind of fascist movement, if you will, are, is cloaked. And there's these signs that come up. They say love lives here. Right. Family, community, country, freedom. <laughs> right yeah. and and you look at that and who can disagree with this right and how do right. you get away the target and they're cloaking this stuff in this kind of religious language of love religious language of caring for community but all you need to know it seems to me is that what they mean is that it's your love of the family and friends and community that are in the in group <laughs> right it's like right. as long as they're your people you have all those things but those signs that idea of love and religion and that we're kind of worship and under god is really like part of that cloak to unleash really potentially horrific violence um, that we see um, kind of in here. And so, I mean, how do you see that that kind of Christian nationalism and that kind of cloaking of, you know, religion uh, in this fashion, or the role that it plays within that? Um, how do you see that kind of playing itself out even now? Yeah, um, I think, you know, again, whether it's sort of the right wing, you know, iterations of Roman Catholicism, um, or evangelical Christianity, I, I think there's a lot of like cross pollination in terms of um, ideas and, and ideology. Um, and we see that, of course, like in the sort of commitment to like establishing a far right court, right. Um, and I mean, it, it's fine, like if we want to think about this in terms of yard signs, right. But when we actually look at the, the literal policies that we're talking about, right, this is all like very dangerous stuff. Um, you know, and so we're, we're talking about like, you know, I, I have friends who are, you know, still teach high school. I taught high school for a number of years and they are all terrified. They are terrified yeah. not only that they are going to be fired for saying things that happened, um, you know, in U.S. history. I mean, like basic stuff. Uh, they're also terrified that like a, a parent or something, you know, a far right parent of a student is going to come and, and hurt somebody. Yeah. Right. Um, hurt them or hurt the school administrator or something like that. Right. Um, and so they are living under enormous stress right now. And yes. again, like this is by design, right? Like these movements encourage people to go uh, to school board meetings and, you know, harass them. Uh, we published, uh, you know, in the activist history, we published a, a, a semi-anonymous, um, you know, essay uh, by several school board members. Um, and they, uh, one of them wanted to be totally anonymous, but they also anonymized um, where they are school board members because they're afraid of being personally targeted. They're afraid of like literally being harmed, right? And, and this is these are these are the groups who are promoting this, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, like, what 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 version of love is this exactly, right? Like, and if if you're familiar with like the far right Christian nationalist rhetoric, then you you know, in fact, that they do consider this love. 
murdering people who are outside of the fold exactly. is is for them love and and exactly. you know like that i i don't you know like if if that's where someone's at i mean I, at this point i'm not sure that like we're gonna sit down and have a nice civil conversation but maybe we will i don't know i, I have my doubts <laughs> yeah uh, i'm with <laughs> you on that just uh just so that we're on that same page because absolutely yeah. i mean that's i think you put it better than that's what it is that's what love looks like right in yeah. that world and you know again it goes through the whole sense of like dehumanizing and so on i think about this this discourse of say pedophilia and grooming and all that and how that is being yeah. utilized as a way of justifying violence towards teachers right um and you know the most extreme possible because once you've labeled somebody as a pedophile <laughs> right once you've labeled yeah. somebody say grooming children right then you're basically saying, look, all bets are off. That person is less than human, thus and yeah. therefore. And, you know, the history of kind of colonialism and racism and everything falls right into play. Yeah. I don't want to jump right in here and say that's what the Nazis did. But, I mean, I'm just going to throw that go. out there. That's literally what the Nazis did. Um, you know, the um, the queer community was one of the first communities they target. Um, yeah. And after coming to power, right? They come to political power, right? And they're all, you know, shiny, happy. Yeah, they have their brown shirts, but, you know, Hitler doesn't mean all that stuff, right? They can't be that bad, right? Um, they go to polite parties. They're very friendly. Um, they drink nice wine. Um, but but then, as it turns out, you know, they have the Night of the Long Knives where, you know, Hitler um, has his closest Nazi ally assassinated uh, because he was gay, um, you know, and openly gay, right? And he knew he was gay the whole time. This wasn't some surprise. Um, you know, but, but this is how fascism works, right? Um, and, and I think that that's really important for us to keep in mind. Um, you know, maybe it's useful for, for some people to think about, like, you know, an evolution of targeted groups. Um, maybe that's useful. Um, but I, I think it's also worthwhile to keep in mind that, you know, under an exterminationist and eliminationist worldview, like a, a worldview which is bent on eliminating and suppressing dissent, there is no safety for any of us, even now, 100%. not five years from now, not 10 years from now, but like tomorrow, right? Like those of us who are outside of that world are in danger. I mean, like there, you know, there are people putting out like essays right now, you know, from the far right and, and you know, it, the Republican establishment even uh, who are calling the Democratic Party a party of groomers. Like yep. this is incredibly dangerous stuff and it is designed uh, to promote violence. And, and I am, you know, I, I think we need to be very clear about what's happening. This is why we use the F word. This is why I use the F word. This is why I encourage you to use the F word, because this is what's happening. And we need to understand why um, and how to respond. 100 um, percent. I've got a question from Emily. Emily wanted to see if you could explain any of the uh, period of fascism in Spain. I mean, I know you don't talk a lot yeah. of those in your piece, but and she says, is it the same kind of economic environment we're in right now in the United States? Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. I guess, man, it's it's no accident that you know fascism gains like a substantial appeal uh, during times of financial insecurity. You know, and that's also true in the U.S. There was a robust uh, fascist movement in the 1930s in the U.S., like an explicitly fascist one, not not just the Second Clan, right? But but an explicitly fascist movement. Um, you know, and and so we do see sort of like. Um, you know, the, the high inflation, the, the low purchasing power, the, the insecurity, um, you know, that is attacking all of us right now in various ways. One of the things that frustrates me right now is that, like, I think we're in the midst of a hunger crisis. And I mean, you, I mean, 
who is who is saying that right in the mainstream media you know our, our political figures i, I mean there is very little i i think in, in those realms like being done to address this kind of thing um that level of chronic insecurity that you know i mean we're also dealing with uh with a, an ongoing pandemic again surprise it's still here you know um i mean what, what this means is that like there is already um you know sort of a greater risk for um, you know, in-group, out-group violence, um, for racialized violence, um, and this is something that I've been worrying about um, as these factors have come together um, for a while. So, like the economic insecurity um, combined uh, with you know the political instability combined uh, with the um, failure of the state to respond to any of those things, um, and the pandemic. I mean, it's it's a sort of a perfect storm uh, for this kind of stuff. Um, unfortunately, uh, I also want to just I got sidetracked, but I did want to say um, in Spain, um, you know, we do also see sort of in addition to those kinds of things that we can recognize uh, from our conversation just now, um, you know, again, like sort of a, a far right uh, version of, of Catholicism, um, one that is is violent and, and suppressionist. Um, and in fact, like some of the sort of suppressionist tactics um, that we associate with, let's say, like Hitler's Germany, uh, like the concentration camps actually you know, originate um, in Spain's own colonial policies. Uh, the reconcentradas, um, you know, began um, in 1896 uh, in Cuba um, when Spain was trying to suppress the, the Cuban revolution there. You know, and so again, there's a lot of overlap um, between these movements. They're watching each other like, oh, you're doing a great fascism. I'm going to do that too now. Um, you know, it, it's it's terrible. Um, and, and it is um, unfortunately, you know, I, I do see us as being at higher risk, um, un unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that that point about looking around and saying, "Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal from that." Is precise. We've actually yeah. been seeing exactly that dynamic being playing out on the world stage now. And when we're right. talking about Russia, whether we're talking about Hungary, where we're talking about you know what's happening in Brazil, right? The very similar things, and you could see them actively borrowing for each other. It's not. I mean, it's not yeah. like you know a surprise that Tucker Carlson was over visiting Hungary, right, to check out like what's it's... happening in their fascist conference, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a it's, yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and it, the the bizarre thing, right, is like fascists tout a love of country, but like they often look to other fascist leaders and they're like, let's be like this country, right? Like they don't love our country, they hate our country, right? They, you know, like, and, and they're, so they're cozying up to Viktor Orban, you know, like why, right? But it's the fascism. The fascism is the draw, um, which is, yeah. Well, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, but you know, you got me thinking about say the crisis and everything. And one of the things that was really, that has been of concern of me when it comes in terms mm. of a trajectory or fascism has to do with what's happening with the climate, right? Yeah. And we saw, for example, in the Christchurch shooting in, in New Zealand, it was part of the, you know, the, the diatribe or whatever the hell you want to call that little tome that he left behind about there is that kind of talking about himself in some ways and as part of movement of as kind of like an environmental fascist, basically, right, is basically seeing what is happening. And your point there about in the face of staring crisis, I mean, look, we're watching basically Europe on fire right now. We're watching, you know, un unprecedented heat waves. We hit, I think England hit a record temperature today of over 100 degrees. Yeah. I mean, and this is going to get worse. And in the absence of state action, the crisis increases, which then it seems to me is that, well, then what happens? It opens up the doors for this kind of fascist movement to basically saying, we need to do this and protect what is ours, signal 
white, you know, male, yeah. white supremacist, this kind of that definition of the nation and then unleash violence to kind of kind of protect the country. I mean, have you seen that kind of or are you of similar concern kind of I am when it comes to the climate crisis, when it comes to that, that these fascist movements? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because I think that is, again, another uh, factor that puts us at extreme elevated risk um, for a sorts of authoritarian movements um, like what we are seeing play out worldwide. I mean, it's not an accident, in fact, that they are you know, that we're dealing with a global problem, right? Um, you know, from places like India to Brazil, um, you know, to Hungary, uh, the U.S., the U.K., you know, France, like oh, and Germany have uh, you know, vibrant um, far right and fascist movements. Um, and I think that is in part because what we were seeing, in fact, is a global unraveling, unraveling um, of sort of the basic senses of security that people need um, in order to just function normally, right? Um, and so there's just like, yeah, we, we have a pre-existing condition. The pre-existing condition is, you know, the climate crisis. Um, and that makes us, you know, incredibly susceptible uh, to this uh, to this fascism fascism disease. I mean, obviously, there's ways of fixing that, right? Um, and it is unfortunate um, that you know uh, the the very fascists who are talking about um, you know eco fascism as being an, a viable option are also you know rejecting I don't know like um, capping carbon emissions or you know moving towards renewable energy. I mean, this these are things that you know I don't know we should do right um you know and so in some ways like they're accelerating the very crisis that they are 100%. you know feeding off of right um it's like they don't want to the fix thing... the problem they want a shorter road to fascism right? yeah I mean, that's, that's right no to. yeah that, that's a, yeah that's exactly right i mean the other thing i want to point out you know and again like this isn't new i, I think lots of people say this um you know but I, I just i think it's worth mentioning too you know when we talk about fascism in some ways what we're talking about is like colonialism but like in a country that isn't supposed to have colonialism. So like a Western European country or a developed country, um, you know, quote unquote developed country, uh, this, you know, when, when it happens there, you know, then we call it fascism. Otherwise we call it, I don't know, like instability or, you know, third worldism or something like that. Right. Um, and, and the same thing is true really with like, you know, quote unquote, like natural disasters, right? When we have like massive heat waves in like India or, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, we have, you know, I don't know, wildfires elsewhere, you know, then all of us, you know, it's, 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 that's just a natural disaster. And uh, that's very sad. We'll send some money. When it happens, like, you know, in a quote unquote developed country, now all of a sudden this is, this is a crisis. This is, this is something like, you know, that no one could ever have predicted or, you know, and that, that's asinine, of course, because like we've known that this like slow moving train wreck was coming our way for quite some time. Uh, but it's also important for us to note, right, that like the way that we talk about these issues, like is itself inflected by a sort of a colonial worldview. 100%. I think it's well said. I mean, I was just thinking about this as, uh, you know, as I was reading about, you know, the heat wave in Spain and whatever. And, I th and I, I'm not sure the exact numbers right now, but there were numbers up of like a 600 people had died just from the heat, right? Not from the hunt. And I was like, yeah, but remember India? Just like yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago. That's right. Right. Um, and there was not a word, you know, wasn't this like front page kind of international story in the way um, that it is uh, kind of making headlines right now. So, yeah. um, case in point. So let me let's let's kind of I want to bring this in a little bit. I want to I want to one. I want to read this one paragraph that really kind of got me from here. And I want to talk a little about this uh, kind of as you lay it out here, these kind of three things about say, what does this mean for all of us? Um, but before I get there, so what 
you say this here about, and again, this is what I mentioned before about need to get away from this kind of like Trump bad man way of thinking about this, but um, like the few bad apples, as you call it, like spoiling the whole mm. bunch. And you, you say this, um, you say the hyper individual, quote unquote, bad apples version of fascism uses a liberal individual frame to misinterpret fascist initiatives. The implied solutions of civility and education to this bad apples rendering of fascism then is misunderstanding the goals of fascism and its historical iterations. Pro-Trump vigilantes illustrated this point well when they told black election worker Shai Moss to, quote, be glad it's 2020 and not 1920, unquote, when white supremacists regularly lynched black Americans for even trying to vote. These Trumpists suffered, suffered neither from a lack of information about the history of white supremacy nor in civility. Instead, the problem lies in the uncivil way they leverage nostalgia for a more overtly racist um, past to undermine black political participation and at the behest of Republican leaders to hijack and transform the state into one that excludes and attacks everyone else. And I thought, there it is in the nutshell, right? Yeah. Um, so... In that context, when we have a discourse, say, for example, in the national media, right, that seems oh, even in the, the January 6th insurrection, right, the constant move to kind of say, OK, we're all going to tie this all to Trump. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. but the idea that we're going to kind of limit it to these few bad players and excuse the, the entire structure the entire party, the Republican Party, and you have Nancy Pelosi coming out there all the time and say, we need a strong Republican Party. And I keep on saying, like, we already got one, except they're a fascist party now, right? right? They're yeah. a strong fascist party. And I don't know why you want to. So that kind of stuff. So you give us these, these kind of three things. about so what does this mean for us in terms of a direction towards what we need to be doing right now? Mm. Um, can you walk us through that a little bit? And any things you want to comment on what I just said to you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it definitely, it's a key passage, right? Um, and I think that helps explain maybe why we're loath to use the word, because like, we think about it as like a product of instant, um, you know, sort of individual responsibility to be very polite, you know, to not upset people, um, just as we think about it as like a an issue of, you know, individual personal preference as to whether or not he will be a fascist. Um, and of course, this is not like the fascist goals as they are expressed in the, the party platforms, either at the state level or the Senate version that we, um, you know, just talked about a few moments ago, um, or even the 2020 presidential platform, which I swear to God, just basically says, like, we support Donald Trump. And that's it. Like, that's that's literally all there was. Um, you can look it up, um, you know, and, and so, you know, like. If you want to explain this as something other than a fascist movement, please be my guest, you know, um, but, you know, this, this just, this is what it is. This is what this word describes. This is what it means. It isn't like individual people with hate in their heart, although there are lots of those. Um, this is, in fact, you know, a, a movement to, uh, to co-opt state institutions um, and turn them against people within the state um, that, you know, people from that minority population, uh, you know, the white supremacist, you know, GOP um, target and, you know, refuse to allow into the body politic. And so it's like, it's an eliminationist movement. The goal is to get rid of the people they don't like. Um, and it's an extremely dangerous thing. Um, and so as we're like looking towards like how we respond to that, the first thing is just like, 
we need to be upfront about like what's happening right now, right? We need to understand, you know, how for Republicans, these really weird, seemingly disconnected issues are all actually like expressions of the same thing, right? Like they're connected to them because they're doing all the stuff, right? Um, and so we need to like figure that out, right? For ourselves right. Um, and then act accordingly. Um, and and we also need to like, you know, get our shit together. I think I said exactly that uh, last time I was on the show, but it's just, yep. it, it, it just we have to get our shit together. And I, I need to emphasize this because this is so important. I think I cut it from the piece because it was just getting too long. But to have like a January 6th, you know, um, commission and, and not have these hearings and then not act upon that information, that like prop, that does more to delegitimize our institutions and pave the way for fascism than even the fascists themselves. Like, you know, they cannot dream up a better scenario than what so far has unfolded. What that means is that like everybody knows that they tried to overthrow the government and everybody knows nothing is going to happen to them. Like yep. try to imagine a more dangerous scenario. Like historically this has happened in places in the U S like it happened in Louisiana in the 1870s. And eventually the white supremacists in Louisiana overthrew the state government. It happened again, like, you know, in, in North Carolina and elsewhere, you know, and we have the Wilmington coup, right? Where again, you know, the white supremacists like threatened to lynch the governor um, and overthrew the, the government, right? So like th these things have happened, right? And like pretending they are not happening, which is the strategy that the, the government used at the time in both of those instances and more broadly, unfortunately, in our history, pretending that it wasn't happening didn't work. Um, so, you know, I, I, if, if we're looking to the past for, for lessons for like how to respond now, please don't pretend it's not happening uh, because they are, you know, they're not going to go away. Um, and yeah, so what instead is required is a robust action um, on our part. We need to get our shit together. Yeah, and you'd say pretty clear, but you need to destroy this the fascist movement, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like just like you say, the January sixth. I get the whole idea. You have the January sixth commission, and you want to tell a tell a complete story about what happened in January sixth, right? Okay, yeah. great. But then there's like a concluding chapter, right, which says like, yeah. so thus and therefore we are going to do X, Y, and Z, right? These right. consequences follow from that good story, and those are things like those people need to be like held accountable and put on trial, right? These are criminals yeah. who have committed criminal acts, right? You don't get to kind of like like recover and kind of like, you know, I don't know, launder your reputation by by basically enabling the kind of the fascist to move forward. And then at the last minute say, okay, under duress of going to jail, you're going to finally tell the truth about what actually happened. That's not enough. You're part of that, that, that and that needs to end. Those people need right. to no longer be serving in the House and the Senate, right? I mean, people who are actively working to undermine the democracy do not get access to our democracy. I mean, it seems to be that yeah. should be your baseline, right? Right. Yeah. And again, I, I want to, this is probably obvious, you know, but I just want to like spell this out. They are objecting to Trump's loss. They are not objecting to the elections that they won that brought them back to Congress, right? Um, and so again, they're, they're only objecting to objection, elections where they lose. Right. And we've seen this happen since then. And again, like this will continue to happen, um, until, uh, we get our shit together, um, and, you know, vigorously prosecute people who've done this, uh, expel them from Congress, um, and address this, uh, right-wing misinformation, uh, issue that is like enabling or facilitating a lot of this. 
100%. You know, I have to say, too, as well as, like, you know, I think that by calling this, like, as you say, using the F word, right, um, and by putting that right in front of us and as, ask, ask of us a different question what it means to get our shit together, right? It's just saying, like, if we have a fascist movement that is on the ver that is already, you know, look at overturned Roe v. Wade, right, has kind of taken over the Supreme Court. And if these are fascists, what do we do with fascists? Yeah. <laughs> right. And the solution is not to, like, give them a book to read. <laughs> right. Right. It's to block yeah. them off from access to any kind of authority or power within our within our country, it seems to me. Yeah, yeah. In, in case in case of emergency, that's the emergency, right? And you know, if that's happening, then we need to get our shit together and, and do something about it. One hundred percent. Well, you got to check out everybody. Thank you for tuning in tonight and everything. You got to check out. You want to more about this? This is like I said. This is the uh, the beginning, the launch of in case of emergency uh, Substack. You can check that out at Dr. William Horn. That's Horn with an E. Dr. William Horn. Substack.com. The link, of course, will be in tonight's show notes. And you got to check out the amazing work over at the uh, Activist History Review, where he's a co-founder of, and that's ActivistHistory.com. And just a little shout out from Nick. Basically says, "Thank you for having William on again. I'm digging into the Activist History Review, and it seems awesome." So I think that's a great plug from Sweet. <laughs> so uh, any you. any kind of final words you want to leave uh, folks with this evening um, before I kind of cut you uh cut you loose to go enjoy your anniversary <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean um get out there get involved talk to your neighbors like talk to people in your community um you know there are uh, so many different ways that like we can make this you know impossible for the fascists who are you know have an unpopular program um people don't want to be like living under a repressive you know, regime in every facet of their lives. Um, you know, so like we can fix this thing, but it, it's going to require, you know, that we talk to one another. Um, it's going to require that we like pool our resources. Um, and, uh, and occasionally, you know, um, do, do, do things. <laughs> um, yeah. We're going to need to do things. Yeah. 100%, right? Like, <laughs> like, think about the thing, plan the thing, then do the thing. Right? Yes, 100%. exactly. Uh, well, you know, thanks to everybody for tuning out. And I hope that you, all of you are listening tonight, everyone who's going to be listening to this show, I hope you hear this as uh, a kind of a reaffirmation of all the organizing work that you're already doing in the, in the streets, the kind of door knocking right. that is going on, the building community that has been happening. Um, it's been amazing to see. Um, again, this is uh, tonight. It's been, we're here with, uh, Dr. William Horn. Uh, you can check out his work at uh, his new newly launched newsletter over at Substack called In Case of Emergency. That's drwilliamhorn.substack.com and all his great work over the Activist History Review at the activisthistory.com. William, thanks for coming back on the show. And uh, man, uh, stay with it and stay in the fight. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, you got it. All right, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney. Um, we are going to be calling it a night. Um, and next week, we've got Alyssa Bowen back on the show. Ooh, we're going to talk about dark money and the anti-abortion movement. Got to keep it rolling. See ya!